You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. So now we're going to jump into the topic of this week. And Pastor asked me to speak on the topic of worship. And in my mind, I was thinking, it seems like something I should be comfortable with, but it seems like a pretty difficult thing to talk about. Worship is something that is fundamental. It is rooted in Scripture. Everywhere you read from the very beginning to the very end, you constantly see worship throughout Scripture. Yet it is also something, I'm sure as we're all aware, that is very personal. Your worship is, it comes from experience. It comes from things that you have gone through. It comes from the things that God has brought you through. And it comes from the goodness and the mercy of God in your life. So the way that you express your worship might not be the way that I express my worship. But I do believe that there is absolutely a right way to worship and that there's a wrong way to worship. And I think that's what we're going to try and delve into this evening. So I think it's important whenever we first look at worship, it's important to think about uh, the first time that is the word worship is, is used in Scripture. And the first time we see is in Genesis 22, 1 through 2. And we all know this story. And uh, it reads, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I tell thee of. I'm going to skip down to verse 5. It reads, I and the lad will go yonder and worship. And come again to you. And verse 6 reads, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and they went, both of them, together. So this is the first time we ever see the word worship used in the Bible. Certainly worship had been a practice of Abraham even earlier in his life. Worship was, was obviously a practice, even going back as far as Cain and Abel. But this is the first time that, that Scripture mentions the word worship. And I think we need to take note at the act that Abraham is doing at this moment. The word that is used here in the Hebrew is shakah, which literally means to bow or to stoop low in reverence. See, God had at this point already promised Abraham that someday he would be a great nation. Genesis 12, 1 through 4 reads, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in these shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. So Abraham has to wait till he's 75 to even receive the promise from God, to even hear what God had promised in him. And to everybody that's wondering whenever Caitlin and I are going to have kids, <laughs> I'm feeling the spirit of Abraham right now in this place. <laughs> I'm not going to say I'm going to wait that long, but wow, 75 years to even hear the promise of God. But God, God promises this great thing to Abraham, and no doubt immediately Abraham was probably excited. He was a man of great faith. He probably believed that God was able to do it even in his old age. But eventually we read that, that Abraham gets discouraged along the way, and he, he loses faith for a while. But then in Genesis 21.5, it says that Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born into him. So Abraham waits 75 years to hear the promise of God, 
He's 75 years old at the point that God promises to him that he is going to have a great nation come out of his lineage. And then he has to wait 25 more years to receive the fulfillment of the promise. And so then when we read, whenever Abraham and Isaac are making their journey up Mount Moriah, Isaac is the one carrying the wood. Obviously, Abraham is an old man, and I've never carried wood for a sacrifice, but I'm assuming that's pretty, pretty, pretty heavy. And so we can assume that he's not just a young boy. He's probably not just a little kid. Most scholars actually believe that he was somewhere between the ages of 18 to 25 years of age at this time due to the biblical narrative. So Abraham waits 100 years for the blessing of Isaac. He raises, raises up Isaac to love and to fear God. Isaac becomes a good man. He becomes a God-fearing man. He becomes, he becomes uh, someone that you would want your son to be. He develops into a good person. And at this point, God commands him to sacrifice his blessing. See, the thing that he had waited maybe 125 years for, God asks him to surrender it all. And Abraham responded by saying, I and the lad will go yonder and worship. Abraham was making a declaration. He was saying, I know that I am nothing compared to the wisdom of God. No doubt he had plans for him and his son. He wasn't so concerned with his own plan and his own will and his own thoughts of how he thought everything was going to happen, but rather he surrendered completely over to God's will. And we know the story. God keeps Abraham from killing Isaac, and he provides a ram as a substitute. Hebrews 11, 17 through 19 says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. So Abraham had so much faith and so much trust in the word of God and in the promise that God had gave to him that he believed that God would even raise Isaac up from the dead had he not have stayed his hand. Had Isaac have been killed, he knew that God was going to fulfill the promise that he was going to make of him a great nation. So he laid down his own plans and his feelings below the will of God in a true act of worship. And that is what I believe worship means. It is laying our, our, our plans and our purpose below the will of God and saying his ways are above my ways and his thoughts are above my thoughts. We get our modern English uh, word for worship. It actually comes from the old English word worship, which literally means worth-ship. In other words, worship literally denotes how worthy something or someone is to you. It is the arrow of your life pointing to whatever it is that you value, whatever it is that you think is worthy. And Abraham understood just how worthy God was, and he lived it out in his actions. We as humans, uh, we love to talk and we love to sing about things that we think are worthy. We love to sing about things that we love uh, and that's why every single time you go to a wedding, you will hear countless sappy love songs about a couple's love for each other. And you'll hear people give long speeches about how much, oh, how much they love each other. And every time you hear someone, uh, someone will write a patriotic song, and those songs stir our emotions, and they evoke pride for one's nation. Yet as much as I love my wife, and as much as I love our nation, and we live in a great nation, Neither my wife nor my country ever died so that I could have eternal salvation. 
Neither one formed me from nothing. Neither one gave their spirit so that I could live an overcoming life over the sins and over the cares of this world. And that's where worship begins to play a part out in our lives. Nothing should make us want to sing more. Nothing should make us want to worship more, want to dance more than realizing what Jesus paid for our salvation than realizing the sacrifice that he gave upon the cross for us. Nothing should make us want to sing more than realizing that Jesus gave it all for us. Nothing should give us more reason to sing than sing every blessing that he's given to us in our life. The songwriter said, When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he has done for me, my soul cries out, Hallelujah. Thank God for saving me. And that is a song that you can only truly sing in honesty if you've been through an experience. That is a song that is birthed out of an experience in your life. That is an external response of worship because of God's goodness. That is a song that only comes from your experiencing the power and, and the goodness of our God. And that is a powerful thing in your life. So now we kind of have an idea of what the essence of worship is. We need to know how to worship. You know, we can know what worship is all day long, but if we don't know how to worship correctly then ultimately it'll just, it'll just be empty. So we're going to go on to worshiping in spirit and in truth. And this is a very common passage. John 4, 21 through 24. We see Jesus meeting with a woman at the well, and it says, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In this passage, we see Jesus encounter the woman at the well. And this woman shows a clear desire to want to worship and a desire to worship correctly. She begins to ask Jesus questions, and she respects him enough as a teacher to, to, to know that he probably is right about these things. And so she begins to ask him how she should worship, you know, where she should worship. But the problem with the woman at the well is that her mind was so fixated upon the correct place to worship. She was so worried about where she was supposed to worship. She wants to know the correct location of where everyone is supposed to go to worship. And Jesus informs her that when you worship, it's not the location of your body that matters, but it's the direction of your heart and your mind that affects your worship. It doesn't matter whether you're at the altar at a church and everyone's shouting and dancing or whether you're in your car driving to work and it's just another day. It's not about the location that you worship in, but it's, it's the direction of your heart and the direction of your mind that affects whether your worship is correct. According to Christ himself, in order for you to be a true worshiper, and I hope we all want to be a true worshiper, I hope that's what our, our, our goal is in life, you have to worship both in spirit and in truth. So now we're going on to worship is internal. The Jews had an understanding of worshiping in truth. From their youth, they could recite the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. They ingrained that within themselves. They understood that that was the very basis of their belief. That was everything that they stood upon. Every bit of their worship was founded upon the fact that there was one Lord. And us as apostolic Pentecostals, we, can, we, we, we are also rooted in that same concept that we know that he is God alone. And that's where our worship comes from. But the problem with the Jews back in this day is that 
oftentimes their biggest failure was that they lacked what God commanded in the very next verse, Deuteronomy 6, 5, which says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. See, they had a clear understanding of who God was, yet they lacked in passion. And all throughout the Old Testament, over and over, we see the children of Israel simply falling into ceremony. They'll still keep on practicing uh, the acts of worship, but it's, it's void. It's completely empty of any meaning because they have no passion. They have no love, and it becomes all vanity. In Malachi, we actually see God reject the worship of the people of God. Malachi 1, 11 through 13 reads, For from the rising of the sun, even until the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place, incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye have profaned it, and that ye say the table of the Lord is polluted. And the fruit thereof, even his meat is contemptible. Ye said also, Behold, what a weariness is it, and ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts, and he brought that which was torn. And the lame and the sick, thus she brought an offering. What should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? See, the people of God were still offering sacrifices. They were still worshiping in their own way. They were still giving what they thought was right. Yet they did not offer the sacrifice with their whole heart. They lacked a quality in their worship. They began to let some things slip, and it became uh, less about truly loving God and truly serving God and more about these are the things that we have to do and these are the things that we are required by the law to do and it became all ceremony. They completely lacked passion and a heart for the things of God. And Isaiah twenty nine thirteen says, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me and their fear towards me is taught by the precept of men. I think one of my favorite, I'd say, modern worship songs, and one of the, I think one of the songs that speaks to me most is probably Heart of Worship. And I think that's kind of what the, the thought of this verse kind of is. And the, the, the song simply says, I'm coming back to the heart of worship where it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry for the things that I've made it when it's all about you. And ultimately, that is, that is where the failure of the children of Israel at this point in their life was. It wasn't that they weren't trying to worship. It, it wasn't that they weren't trying to offer something, but it was that it lacked a passion. It lacked something within their heart. And ultimately, you can, you can stand up and you can sing all you want to and you can, you, you, you can preach and you can, you can play instruments and you can do everything that you think is right, but if it's not in your heart, if it does not come from a place of sincerity, ultimately it completely and totally is lacking. And so this leads me to my next point. Worship is evident on the outside. Ultimately, worship, if it's true and if it's sincere, and if it's in your heart, it will always end up on the outside. True worship in your heart will always manifest itself on the outside. In 2 Samuel verse 6, we see David worshiping and dancing before the Lord because the ark of God has been returned to Jerusalem. And David was a man after God's own heart, and he understood that his worship could not merely be ceremony, but it had to be something that was more sincere. He had to express his love and his adoration, and he did this in the dance. And we, we read that his wife, uh, Mikhail, was not pleased with this. Second Samuel verse, or chapter 6, verse 20 through 21 says, Then David returned to bless his household, and Mikhail, the daughter of Saul, came out 
to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today? Now that sounds like sarcasm. And <laughs> that's some pretty strong sarcasm right there. How glorious was the king of Israel today who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids and of his servants as one of the vain fellows who shamelessly uncover himself. And David said unto Michal, It was before the Lord which chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord. Michal was embarrassed of David because he cared more about glorifying and praising God than he cared about his own image. He cared more about uh, giving glory to God than what he looked like. Michal was Saul's daughter, so she grew up in political establishment. She was uh, always in royalty her entire life. She, she then became very angry because David was not in his royal garments at this time, and he was dancing and praising God as the commoners did. And I know we always say things like, uh, if you only knew what, what I've been through, then you would understand why I'm, worship, why I'm worshiping. If you only have seen the things that God's brought me through, you would understand why I praise and why I worship. But Mikhail knew exactly what God had brought David through. David was actually able to marry her because he defeated the Philistines. She knew that God had helped him defeat Goliath. She had seen the many victories and the battles that God had brought David through. She had seen every single blessing, every single good thing that God had done for David. And she knew that he had a reason to worship God with everything that he had. Yet she cared more for her image and more about the way that she looked than giving glory to God. And so now this is something that becomes evident in our Pentecostal worship. Because this is something that we're used to. We know how to, we know how to worship. We know how to, how to express our worship on the outside. And I'm not just saying something that's just a show. Because it has to be sincere in your heart. Sometimes you see people worshiping and you're thinking, uh, is that the Holy Ghost or is that the Sholy Ghost? And you don't know sometimes. But, but, but we as Pentecostals understand how to sincerely worship God. And authentic Pentecostal worship I believe, absolutely exemplifies what Jesus was commanding when he said to the woman at the well to worship in spirit and truth. It's a matter both of the head and of the heart. See, we're apostolic, and it's because of the fact that we know who Jesus is, that he sacrificed his life, that he gave everything for us. We know that he is the only one true God, and that truth then gets so ingrained within our hearts that we can't help but worship we can't help but glorify him. And, it, and if it looks a little crazy to the rest of the world, then that just has to be okay because whenever we think of everything that God has done for us, whenever we think of everything that God has brought us through, we cannot help but worship him. We worship expressively, and it's not just because we like to. It's, this is not just cardio that we try to do. We don't come into, I don't, I don't get up and I don't lead worship just because I, I like the exercise and I like to work my, my voice and everything. We do that because it's an outward expression of the gratefulness and the gratitude that is within our heart. And outward worship is commonly referred to and commanded in Scripture. I've heard some people say, well, is, is that really in the Bible? Should you, should you be worshiping like that? Well, I'm going to give you some Scripture. So if you have any doubts on these, then I'm, I'm sorry about you. That's <laughs> so we're going to go through all these different things, and these are outward expressions of worship that are directly influenced by biblical examples. So there can be no questions after these things. And we're going to go through them. Clapping and shouting is the first one. 
And we read in Psalms 47 and 1, Oh, clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. And so that, that shouldn't be something that's so unfamiliar to us. That was something that was mandated by Scripture, and it should be something that, that we practice. I encourage you to, to, to clap your hands during, during worship or whenever, whenever God moves upon your heart. Shouting, singing is another thing. This is something we do every single service. Ephesians 5.19 says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And we don't just come up here and sing because we think that we're a bunch of good singers. You can go to a thousand different places all over this state, and you could hear people that are way more talented and way better than any of us are. But it's the fact that we have a relationship with the one true God and that we have been through things and we have experienced his goodness and his mercy. That's what makes our singing different from the rest of the world. Another one that's mentioned is lifting hands. We read in Psalm 134, verse 2. It reads, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Uh, And that's one that is very common again. We probably have seen a few people lift up their hands. I lifted up my hands during worship. (laughs) Playing instruments. This is one that is near and dear to my heart, and this one might offend some people. Because this one is, this is probably one of my favorite scriptures in, in, in the entire Bible. Psalm 155 says, praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high sounding cymbals. And I'm sorry if I've ever offended anybody, but I'm just following scripture when I play the drums. I like to play upon the loud cymbals and upon the high sounding cymbals. And again, it's not because we think that we are something, but it's because we think that we are nothing. And we want to give everything to the one that deserves it. Amen. And then finally, dancing is referenced in Psalm 149.3, and we just talked about how David danced before the Lord. It says, let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and the harp. So now we're going to talk about how you can get started in this. So getting started in worship is easy. That's the good news. If you, if you don't know how to worship, it's, it's extremely easy, and it all starts with a sincere heart. See, once you know the truth of who Christ is, and we hear it preached here every single week, uh, and once you have a love for him, then you'll naturally want to express it on the outside. And so I have some some things that I would encourage you to do. I would encourage each and every one of us to be involved in worship service, whether you're singing on the platform and, and playing instrument or whether you're not, whether you're down here. Clap your hands into God. You know, shout. You know, whatever you feel God moves on you to do, I encourage you to be a free worshiper. Try stepping out, lifting your hands, try clapping if you've never tried to do that. One thing that I love to do, and this is is kind of just from the book of Matthew personally, uh, I love to drive to work and I love to listen to just good Christian music. Try try that. Instead of driving to work and listening to the news, instead of driving to work and, and listening to to, to whatever podcast you listen to or what, if you just sit in silence. I don't know. Try listening to Christian music instead. Don't swerve off the road. I've been known to do that. I tend to speed whenever I really, really like a song. I have that problem. So don't, don't break any laws. But listen to good Christian music whenever, whenever you're driving to work. Listen to, to Christian music in your home. Some of my fondest memories are growing up, and my mom, whenever we would clean, especially spring cleaning, she would open up all the windows of our house, and she would blare gospel music so loud just gospel choir music, it would, be, it would be so loud. I'm surprised our neighbors weren't completely and totally just, I didn't, can't believe they didn't hate us. But it's some of my fondest memories because I got to experience watching my mom worship even whenever uh, we were just doing something as menial as just cleaning the house. Encourage your family. You know, 
teach your, teach your children to be worshipers. It's, that's something that, that, God will, that God will respect and that God will bless you for. It's the most important thing is that you worship him in spirit and in truth because he seeks for true worshipers to worship him. And I'm going to close with a, a quote by A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer said, Any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. Now that is a strong statement. That is a powerful statement. That convicts us. But if you can't stand worshiping in the house of God, if you get annoyed during a worship service just on a typical Sunday, then I don't know what you think you're going to be doing in heaven for all eternity. Because that's what we're going to be doing up there. If you can't stand worshiping God here, how are you going to expect to be worshiping God for all eternity? But we will get to worship him for all eternity. And I personally cannot wait for that day.